Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. It's fair to say our expectations of some easing of restrictions has been building over the last couple of weeks, to the point where it's now at fever pitch. We seem to be taking the approach that we've done as we've been asked for the last few weeks and that's paid off in its effectiveness in limiting the spread of the virus. Our R0 rate is now somewhere around 0.5. We are good citizens. Now it's time to give us a break and let us get back to some semblance of our old lives, the logic goes. And while there seems to be a heated discussion taking place between the powers that be on this very subject, there is little prospect of unhindered liberty anytime soon. Simon Carswell is Public Affairs Editor of the Irish Times. Simon, the current restrictions remain in place until May the 5th. All indications are that a careful easing of restrictions will start from then. This has been called the hammer and the dance. Will you explain that to us? Well, the hammer and the dance, it's a term that was used. It was coined by a Silicon Valley entrepreneur by the name of uh, Thomas Pueo. And he posted... Uh, in a blog post that was widely shared, the idea of this ebb and flow approach that countries they have to follow if they're going to reopen after lockdowns to stem coronavirus outbreaks. So the hammer is the lockdown, uh, which is you're strictly enforcing physical distancing rules to stop outbreaks. And then the dance is this very delicate combination of comprehensive and rapid testing, uh, finding people who are infected from those tests, um, taking then the tracing the context, their contacts to manage the virus and then at the same time lifting the lockdown measures. So you have to go about very carefully and if you go too quickly on the dance part, you have to return to the hammer and reintroduce lockdown measures. So it's this kind of binary um, approach to trying to get things back to this new normal that they're talking about. So we're balancing the easing of restrictions against a regime of testing and contact tracing and so on. If we take testing, for example, we're hearing it may take us to the end of May to hit the 100,000 tests per week uh, target that's been identified. Will that mean a longer wait to end restrictions then? And and what yardstick are we using uh, to determine that? Well, this is the challenge for the government and the health authorities. Until you have the testing regime up to a level that can allow you to track whether your relaxation measures are leading to new infections, until you have that regime in place, uh, and unless you have that regime in place, you can't measure um, the the lifting of the effect of the lifting of the restriction. So, so let's say, for example, they... Um, introduce uh, a partial return of schools, for example. And it's one of the things that's been discussed is that if they send kids back to primary schools one day a week, they need to see if that decision results in the infection rate rising. And we have got to a stage because of the social distancing that we've been doing over the last five or six weeks, we've got to the point where the infection rate is below 
this or not term that they call below one. So it's down around 0.5. So there's not one whole person infecting, being infected by a COVID case. So that's a very, very good position to be in. And so what you need to be able to do is get your testing to the point where if you have a relaxation measure, you need to be able to see whether that's having an effect. And that's why the return of um, the, the relaxation measures, uh, they can only happen in a very evolved way, in a, in, in, a, in a step change way through a series of waves of relaxation measures. So you would do it either uh, you'd introduce the waves every 14 to 28 days. And the reason it's 14 days or 28 days is that's the incubation period for the virus. So you will know after you introduce relaxation measures after 14 days, whether it leads to a rise in infections. And without that testing regime, without those 100,000 weekly tests, you won't know whether the infection rate is rising. So that's why it's absolutely critical that they have this rapid turnaround time in testing the HSE has said they won't have that in place until the third week in May. So it follows that it's going to raise doubts as to whether you can actually lift restrictions when they expire on May 5th or whether you have to wait until the third week in May. For a couple of weeks now, Simon, the authorities have been tamping down expectations about the easing of restrictions. They need to balance that with their response to the strong public demand to, to relax measures, especially since we've seen evidence of fraying of those restrictions and and a good deal of public frustration uh, in in the recent past. Um, We've seen that the discussion about what to do for the best has become fraught recently with tensions um, between uh, the the, the NFET uh, politicians and the HSE. So in practical terms, how hard is it going to be to come up with a clear message that gives people hope, but is also attainable. Well, that's again the delicate balance between the hammer and the dance. It's how you strike that balance of um, almost rewarding some of the the public compliance that that we've seen in the last five or six weeks with the social distancing, uh, and also then that you're conscious of the public health concerns that you don't go too far too quickly. If you go too far too quickly it might result in behaviour that could lead to a loosening in the social distancing. And by the way, anything that is introduced in terms of relaxation of the lift down, of the lockdown measures, um, it has to still comply with social distancing. People will be living with this virus for quite some time and they will also be living with the fact that they do have to maintain this two metre social distancing from one another for quite a long period of time. So you have this week, for example, Liz Canavan, the Assistant Secretary General of the, the Department of Taoiseach, she has said that she recognises that the, the public's patience and resolve with complying with these COVID-19 restrictions is waning. Um, and she's appealed to people to keep going as best they can. Now, that echoes similar sentiments by um, Dr. Tony Houlihan, the state's chief medical officer. He has said in recent days that if the decision was to be made last uh, late last week and over the weekend, that if the, he was to make the decision then that he wouldn't be lifting the restrictions and he was concerned about an anticipatory slacking off by people in anticipation of this May 5th deadline coming and thinking, well, 
peop, that people out there were thinking, well, the May 5th deadline is coming. So we've been, we've behaved ourselves very well. The infection rate is way down. Uh, hospitalizations are way down. The, the ICU admissions are manageable. So therefore it should follow that we should be allowed to, uh, we should be able to see and should see restrictions. And so that's where you're going to see this tension and it's going to get greater and greater over the coming weeks and months, the political pressure to be able to tell people, yes, we're going to be easing the restrictions, but then the public health pressure of not going too far. And all of the public health doctors that I spoke to, all of the infections, diseases specialists that I've spoken to, the risk is the risk of getting this wrong is really dangerous because in two to three weeks, if you get it wrong, you could push up that infection rate again and you could undo all the good work that we have done over the last five or six weeks. So it's a major challenge and there's this delicate balance to be struck between the public health concerns and then the political concerns when it comes to reopening society. And then the added pressure is the vast number of people that are on uh, state supports, financial supports with the uh, the COVID-19 subsidies. So there's a massive economic pressure and financial pressure as well on politicians to start opening things up, to get people back to work, to make sure that this is not just a public health crisis, uh, but it's not it's not 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 only that, but they prevent an economic crisis that could deteriorate unless you start opening things up. The talk, Simon, is of increasing the exercise distance to five kilometres and, and maybe letting older people out for a couple of hours in the morning. In terms of people's domestic arrangements, is it likely to be as little as that? Well, I think what you're looking at is at the moment, and I think everything you have to preface by saying that there is pretty major discussions going on amongst public health officials uh, in consultation with politicians and advisors too, that it's not quite clear yet what's going to be decided for all of the reasons I outlined earlier and the concerns about um, the infection rate potentially rising and making sure the testing and contact tracing regime is 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 at the, at the place where it needs to be. But among the ideas they're looking at is, and they're particularly concerned about the impact on the social and mental well-being of older people, of, of the over 70s who are cocooning, who are at home and have been at home since the end of March at the advice of the government. Um, this is the most vulnerable group of people. So what they are thinking of looking at for them is the possibility of increasing the distance that they can um, what that they can go out more, that they can take walks. So there might be a couple of hours a day where they, as long as they can avoid all human contact and touching things, that they may be allowed out to get fresh air, to get walks. And also the possibility of looking at, has been looked at as to whether they should wear masks during that time to protect themselves. Uh, the other thing that they're potentially looking at is seeing if there are restricted hours in supermarkets to allow uh, the cocooners, the older people, to be able to get out um, and do some shopping. Uh, that would be going back to the way it was before uh, the cocoon measure came in. And there's a sense amongst the public health officials that this may ease the emotional and psychological effect that social isolation might be causing some of the older people right now. And I think a measure that's being looked at that would probably appeal to some of the older people in particular is that they're looking at the possibility of whether they could allow um, them to see more family members. So let's say, for example, if they're cocooning and they have a son or daughter or nephew or niece who are cocooning as well, the idea of increasing that kind of family network so that they could bring in more family members essentially into into their cocoon. Uh, It's very similar to what 
New Zealand are looking at where New Zealand are creating what they call bubbles. And so if you have your own family bubble or if you want to add someone that you're sure they can have no contact with strangers outside the family network or outside the family bu- bubble, that they, they can be included. And that can extend not just to other family members, but it can extend also to um, to people who are alone in the community, people who don't have relatives. So uh, again, it's, it's a very tricky balance to be struck, but it's one of the things that they're looking at to see whether they can do that, as well as extending the two kilometre limit to five or potentially 10 kilometres in the first wave of, of relaxations that are being considered. And then in terms of the, the wider issue of, for example, the economy, the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, has signalled he would be tapering and changing the welfare subsidies that were put in place um, when the when the 12-week uh, period expires in mid-June. Is, is that the state kind of forcing its own hand in getting people back to work? It is partly down to that, but the fact that this scheme is costing in the order of 300 million a week that it's supporting about 740,000 people. That's not sustainable for a long period of time. The state just can't afford that. So it inevitably has to look at measures that will result in people being put back to work, people who can, uh, companies that can reopen, but also taking away the subsidy. And that's likely to hurt part-time and casual workers, the vast majority of whom are young, because they're going to have to lose out and they're going to have to lose out and reduce payments as the current scheme uh, which is really not economically sustainable beyond the 12-week period, that that would be reduced and then the lockdown measures um, for them may allow them to go back to work so they can earn a wage again. But it, it's a very costly scheme that needs to be addressed uh, beyond the 12-week period. And we have some indications that there will be some reopening of, of retail businesses. Uh, what what are they? What are what sectors are involved there and what kind of, of measures would need to be put in place in order for that to happen safely? Well, they're looking in particular at, at businesses, what would be regarded as non-essential businesses uh, before reopening. And these would be businesses or shops or retail outlets that can implement physical social distancing so that they can guarantee that customers will be more than two metres away from one another. So you're talking the likes of garden centres, hardware stores, some of the big multiples where they can reopen, but they would reopen with restricted capacity and limited access, something along the lines of what we're seeing in a lot of the food supermarkets currently where there are queues outside. Uh, customers are let in uh, in a kind of staggered order so that they're, uh, they could, the shop can manage social distancing internally. But you're also going to see more of a, a more dominant role or more bigger role played by the Health and Safety Authority to ensure that you know, particular businesses, are they suitable? Can they open up? Can they guarantee the safety of employees in work settings? So those are the kind of issues that they're looking at. And this is all driven by the fact that it's essential that businesses get back. Uh, Danny McCoy, the chief executive of the business group, IBEC, mentioned the idea of flattening the other curve, not not just the infection curve, but flattening the other curve, which is a, more, uh, an, a serious curve as well as the unemployment curve. So that's all to do with how do we get the economy back open and um, not back to normal, but how can we start getting it open again to be able to get people back to work? There's been massive pressure as well, Simon, to reopen the construction industry, both because of its importance to the economy and, and because much of, of, of that activity takes place outside and, and therefore should be lower risk. Isn't that the case? It is, and the construction industry themselves would say that they're they've put in place pretty sweeping measures to be able to do that. Um, certainly, there are construction that's gone back already. There's thirty five social housing projects, uh, which aims to, to to build accommodation for people in emergency accommodation and at risk of homelessness. So, 
they, the public health officials will be looking at in particular as well, can you keep social distancing and the fact that a lot of construction work takes place outside, so it is possible. And where it's not possible, so for example, two workers they need to work closely together on a particular aspect of a building site, that they would have to work within the two metre um, the guidelines uh, the, uh, and that they would do so wearing the right protective equipment so that they would protect themselves from each other, protect themselves from potential infection. And that would be done in a period of less than 15 minutes, the period which uh, the infection can pass from person to person. So those would be the kind of measures that they would put in place to allow construction to go back. Minister for Health uh, Simon Harris has flagged that a partial return of, of primary schools is being considered before the end of the school year. But it, but it's not clear yet as to what form this might take, is it? Yeah, it's. I think it's one of the trickiest areas of the primary schools because uh, of the complexities of how the schools would operate. But the, the ideas that are being uh, thrown around behind closed doors with public officials uh, and who are looking at the possibility of open schools is that you may be able to do it at one day a week um, and increase this over time if their social distancing can be maintained and make sure there's no new cases. Um, and in the case of Leaving Cert students, that priority might be given to them in secondary schools that would allow them to return ahead of the start of the exams on July 29th. I suppose the timing of this is less significant for secondary schools because they'll be wrapping up at the end of May. But uh, primary schools and even certain students would be the, the main focus of the discussions at the moment as to whether they can get those schools back uh, a little bit earlier and uh, critically back before the exams start. Simon, with the approach of summer, people's thoughts normally turn to holiday plans. And although a couple of the UK-based uh, budget airlines have announced plans to reopen a couple of routes, it doesn't look like we're going to be taking to the skies anytime soon, though, does it? It doesn't. I think the idea of your holiday overseas, your sun holiday in Greece or Spain or Portugal may not happen in, in 2020 or at least not in the coming months of, of this year. Uh, the fact that a lot of um, the restrictions on airlines means that it's, uh, it could be very difficult to get abroad, but also you're, you're, you're bringing potentially the risk back to Ireland if you go abroad. And you also, there's a risk of, of being stuck over there if further lockdown measures are introduced in the particular country you might be visiting. So I think it's a case of domestic holidays this year is more likely. And it may not happen soon either. It's not expected to be until later waves of restrictions being removed that we could see people being allowed to travel to holiday homes or campsites around the country. So, for example, one of the things that's been discussed is, although this has been really ruled out from a political point of view because it would be so difficult um, and wouldn't wash with many people in the public, is that if Dublin and Cork are essentially the epicentres of the coronavirus pandemic in Ireland, then you cannot really have people travelling from those epicentres to parts of the west of Ireland or southwest or southeast or, or northwest indeed because you have the risk of transmitting infection if you travel. So aside from the, the two kilometre limit, you're advised not to travel more than two kilometres, told not to travel more than two kilometres from your home currently. It may go in the early restrictions and may be loosened uh, in the early relaxations to five kilometres or 10 kilometres. But the idea of going it going to 100 or 200 kilometres early on seems remote at this stage. Simon, little did we know how much we would all miss the prospect of a good night out, a nice meal or or a few drinks. Um, the restaurant sector is saying that the vast majority of its businesses could close if they don't, don't get some form of, of financial support. What, what can the restaurant and pub sector expect at the start of May? 
Well, I don't think they can expect much because restaurants and pubs in particular have, well, there's two difficulties. I mean, pubs just won't be coming back because of the challenges pubs by their nature, people mill around, they don't stay in one place, they go to the bar, they go back and forth. So the idea of the pubs opening anytime soon, I think is, is again, uh, not going to happen anytime soon. Restaurants, on the other hand, the Restaurant Association of Ireland has said, yeah, well, listen, we've looked at the WHO guidelines on this, and there are guidelines that, that we could follow that would allow us to open. But I think the restrictions under those guidelines would be so onerous and so restrictive that it wouldn't be worth the restaurants while financially to do that. It would be so costly. So, for example, the limits would say where you're only allowed four diners per table and that table has to be on a 10 square um, metre space so as not to infect other people. And you could kind of keep that cocoon of your family, that bubble of your family or friends that you've been protecting um, in that in that restaurant. The challenge there is that so many restaurants cannot create that kind of space without there being some sort of financial support. It's just not financially viable to have that few customers in your restaurant at any one time. So what they're saying in the restaurant association is that, well, we can do it, but we're going to need support. We're going to need to be uh, looked after in terms of the VAT rate needs to come down. There needs to be financial supports. So I think that the prospect of restaurants, coffee shops and and, and certainly pubs um, opening up anytime soon seems to be extremely challenging. Overall, Simon, it's very important that we get this right, isn't it? It's essential. If you get it wrong um, and you move too quickly, too far, um, you could result in uh, infection rate rising again. And if that happens, you would undo weeks of work uh, and sacrifices that the public have made. And if you don't get the testing and contact tracing in place before you do it, you may suddenly have a surge in cases again, this surge that we were dreading for so long and we, we managed to avoid the country's hospitals weren't swamped like they were in Italy or Spain. Uh, our ICU units, uh, capacity in intensive care units and hospitals, they managed to, to make sure that wasn't um, largely in most hospitals wasn't breached or certainly across the, the country as a whole wasn't breached. So, if you don't manage uh, the relaxations of the restrictions extremely carefully, you have the risk of, of, of potentially increasing infections again. And so the other challenge with uh, introducing the relaxations is if you go, go too far too quickly um, and you have to reintroduce restrictions, that creates problems for government because what it does is it undermines confidence um, in the public's confidence in the government's ability to manage this crisis. And so if, for example, you have to reintroduce lockdown measures or further restrictions, the public might get very frustrated and annoyed that they're coming back again. Um, and that might be a whole other challenge in terms of trying to manage people to adhere to new restrictions again. So it's very, very delicate. It's This hammer and dance is extremely delicate when it comes to managing it. It's going to be steady as she goes. It's, it's not a race to reopen things. And it's certainly not going to be a reopening uh, as quickly as these restrictions were introduced. There is no switch flicking here. It's going to be a very slow process. Open something up, measure it, see if it leads to infection rates increasing over a 14 or 28 day period. And if it doesn't, do something more and it'll be gradually reopening the country and testing it as you reopen to make sure you're not making any mistakes. Thanks, Simon. Thanks very much. 
My thanks to Declan Conlon who produced today's podcast and thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow.